Okay, Psalm 110. Psalm 110. We just hit Psalm 37, so we've skipped a few. But we're kind of skipping in and out based on the, the categories of psalms. And this is a messianic psalm, Messiah psalm. And it's about appointing, God appointing a king. One of the most important parts of a new administration is what they say in their stump speech, right? The promises they made on the campaign trail is the most important thing about them, right? No, not at all, because things can really quickly change as soon as a politician gets in office. What, what, what you find out, what they really believe is by what they do, what they do, not what they said they would do. And a lot of that is determined in the first weeks of office by who they appoint. And then the administration, whether it be governor or mayor or president or king, the, the months or years to come, you really find out what they believe in that place they're headed by, who they appoint to represent them, what appointments are made, right? And so... Uh, in our government, there are 15 cabinet positions. Right? Cabinet or position in a cabinet doesn't sound very roomy. It sounds very, very cramped. Uh, but actually, it's, it's an intimate room where you would talk with your most trusted advisors. So a president's cabinet is very important. It's a good job. You get paid over $200,000 a year. I wouldn't mind that. Right? I would love to be a I would rather be pastor here. I truly mean that. But if I had a cabinet position, it would be the Secretary of Interior. Because I like interior design. No, but actually, it kind of is that. It's, it's the Parks Department of the U.S. That would be okay. But I, I'm fine where I am. Anyway, these, these positions that are given are tr to trusted advisors of any administration. The world takes note when administration changes and, and they have to fill a new cabinet. Right? Democracies choose their leaders and their leaders hire other people. They delegate this authority to other people. Well, what if God made some appointments? God is ruler over all. What if his appointments told us a lot of it about him and where he was headed with his administration and actually communicated to us some comforting truths about who he is? And where he's headed. Well, that's exactly what we have in Psalm 110. We find two of God's appointments. Two of the delegated positions from God as ruler of all. Okay? And they're really clearly laid out here in Psalm 110. Verses 1 through 3 are all about this appointment of king. The sovereign ruler has placed and appointed a king and we learn some comforting truths, some helpful truths, convicting truths, based on that appointment as God as king. Verses 4 and following, we find him appointment as priest. <clears throat> right? So verse 1 says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch out your strong scepter from Zion. Right, so it's referring to this ruler with a scepter of authority. That's the king. God appoints. Actually, here it's an oracle in first, verse 1. This oracle of who he is going to have as king. And then verse 4, 
It's like an oath. It's a declaration of an appointment from the very highest office, not the Oval Office, but the throne room of heaven with an oath, an oracle of the king, and then an oath of the priest, his appointment as priest. The Lord has sworn, has sworn, and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. But again, as I said, as I was going through this, I was like, you know what, we could take an hour and a half with this and really work our way through it carefully. But I do believe if I continued that way, you all would not be here, except maybe Hannah. Would you leave Hannah after an hour and a half? Everyone else would go on to lunch, and I would be the only one talking here. So, because of that, because our attention span is limited, our time is limited, we're just going to focus on that first section. And honestly, verse 1 is enough to, to unpack, really to feed our soul and apply it to our soul. And, and verses 2 and 3 are very close to verse 1. Okay, so that's what we're doing here. We're finding this first appointment, the appointment of, and not an oath, right? The oath is verse 4, but this oracle, this oracle from God as he declares who his king is, right? And so this would be this messianic psalm, one of the messianic psalms. Last Sunday, we looked at a wisdom psalm, Psalm 37, uh, this idea of how I should walk in life. We really talked about knowing the will of God and how to understand that uh, really helpful, practical wisdom. Uh, but we're seeing there's all these different types of psalms. Justice psalms, right? Crying out when things are not fair. Complaint psalms. I can't remember how many are there. Weren't there like 48? There's like 48 of these. Maybe even more. And this was like 90-some. Praise psalms. But the complaint psalms are laments. Complaints that were just like, things are going wrong. There's injustice. Or someone treated me unfairly. And so you have this complaint before God. But the complaint also often turns into a prayer request, prayer request or praise. And so these cries of sorrow turn into cries of joy or cries of trust. And then often it turns into praises. And so that's what most of the Psalms are. These praises for forgiveness and for deliverance for what God has done in Jerusalem. Okay. And what we did is we just recognized that the Psalms, if you summarize it, those are the big ideas. You have these distressing circumstances and mistreatment that cause us to complain or lament. And so you have lament Psalms. But those quickly turn into praise and prayer. As they lament before the Lord, even while they're in the difficult situation, like that person singing, it is well with my soul as their house is destroyed around them. And then a lot of the Psalms turn into the praise for deliverance and don't include any of these top three. But you can see kind of the logical progression of what happens with these themes in the Psalms. You have mistreatment, distressing circumstances, complaints, laments. Prayers and praises, and then praises for deliverance. And so we summarize it in this one sentence. Praise the Lord, for he is great. He is good. And we'll bring the Messiah who provides eternal deliverance to all who trust in him. So today we finally get to these messianic psalms. And we're actually going to conclude our series with this uh, as we look at this hinge, this most important part of the summary phrase, 
God is going to deliver us. He delivers us primarily through a person, that person of Messiah. Okay, so let's jump into the text. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And so we have the appointment of a king. The appointment of a king. The application for today will be trust and obey the never-failing king. Trust and obey the never-failing king. God appoints a Messiah king. Right. So this is page 7 in your notes. We're only going to get through that first point today. Well, let's look at it here together. Uh, the appointment itself is verse 1. We're going to look first of all the the people involved. The people involved. And that's all in that first line. Look at all the people. And this is so important for us to discover. The Lord says to my Lord. Who are the Lords there? Who is the my? Right? There's three different persons referred to here. And we really got to understand which person is which in order to get an understanding of the psalm itself and the comfort to our soul. So, the people involved, uh, I'm going to say these are two persons and a speaker. Two persons and a speaker. The first person is the Lord, and the text says capital L-O-R-D. The Lord says to my Lord. When you read in your Bible... Capital L-O-R-D. Who is that referring to? Yahweh. Right. It is referring to Yahweh. Capital L-O-R-D. Every time you find that, it actually is the the name for God. Sometimes people translate that Jehovah or Yahweh. It's kind of like my name is Tim, Timothy, but in, in Spanish it's Timoteo. Right. Same person, kind of the same name with a different translation of that name. Right, and so, so the, the Lord is Yahweh, Yahweh. This is that name revealed to Moses, the writer of the Pentateuch in 1500 B.C. Uh, of Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so, right, for centuries, translators have, instead of writing Yahweh or Jehovah, uh, just like the Jewish folks, uh, right, instead of God, they, they write a capital G and a lowercase d so that you don't pronounce the name God um, for respect, not taking God's name in vain. What a lot of translators have done is instead of saying Yahweh or Jehovah, translating what the Hebrew says, they just say Lord, capital L-O-R-D. And if you want to do that, that's okay. I think, I think actually newer translations are, are translating the Hebrew into Yahweh. And, and I like that. Because that's what the text says. So if God wanted it to be Lord, he would have put that there. But instead he puts Yahweh. He puts Jehovah. He puts his name. And so it's good to say it. So that is the first person. The Lord. Yahweh is saying something. When Yahweh speaks, we should all listen. So let's listen to this direct quote from Jehovah God. Yahweh says, okay, now this is the next pronoun, right? The next person is my. Well, who is the my here? The Lord says to my Lord. My is the speaker. It's the writer of the psalm. Who is David, King David, okay? So, so David, King David, is hearing Yahweh speak. 
fascinating. We're going to get to that in a moment, but just like we read it and we don't let it sink in. David, King David is hearing Yahweh say something. He's hearing the voice of Yahweh. Well, who's David? Well, King David is fascinating, right? He speaks, we was talking about Moses 1500. David speaks about 1000 BC, and that's when he's writing this psalm. David. David is the foremost, we would say, king of Israel. Really the one that God used to set Israel together into one united kingdom. Solomon, his son, grew it further than him, but David was the kind of the prototype of the good king. Did a lot of bad things, right? Really, all throughout his life, there was a lot of bad stuff in David's life. But he continued to go back to the Lord. He continued to go back to the Lord. And he's respected to this day. As the, in fact, we're going to go see a play. Right? We're going to go see a play about the King David. And I think they're going to give a live stream of that in September. So even if you can't go to the play in person, we'll show the, we'll show the play. Um, we'll do a showing at our church of it. It's good to know the life of David. Because the life of David does this. This, this is an important, this is kind of the, the most important text when it comes to understanding King David's life. The Lord says to my King David's what? Well, who's the third person? King David's Lord. Different person. Yahweh says to King David's Lord. King David has a Lord. If you're reading this psalm in that day, you're like, what's going on, David? You are the king. This is not talking about Saul. Who is David's Adonai? It's the word Adonai. Who is David's Lord? This word Lord is word master. It's used over 770 times in the Old Testament often just refers to a human master, very often refers to God as Lord. It's someone who has authority, right? So, so sometimes dads are called masters, sometimes kings are called masters or lords, sometimes God, who is the Lord of all. In fact, he is the Lord of lords in the Psalms. And so you look at all the references, 68 references to Adonai in the Psalms, and only four of them refer to human lords. All the rest refer to God as Lord. So David has this Lord that is often referred to as God. David always calls this person God. Except when he says Lord of Lords, that idea of Adonai of Adonais. So who is David's Lord? We're not left to speculation, are we? Uh, David is speaking of Messiah. David is speaking of Messiah. Um, in fact, if you have your Bible, turn with me. We're going to turn to one passage. I don't think I have this down. Oh, I do, actually. But if you have your Bible, turn over there. This is, this is David's final words before he dies. David's last will and testament. His last psalm. 2 Samuel 23. And, and it's a similar, you see it's a parallel idea to Psalm 110. Look at 2 Samuel 23. We find right at the end as David's about to die. 
Now these are the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, declares, the man who was raised on high declares, the anointed of God, right? That's the term Messiah. The anointed of God of Jacob, so this shadow of Messiah, the sweet psalmist of Israel says this, and he gets back to this idea of hearing the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. There's this this mystery that David is hearing words from God, and he's speaking words of God, and he understands that. He goes on and says, The God of Israel said, so as David is speaking, this oracle that he's speaking is actually the God of Israel, the the rock of Israel sharing something. What is the God of Israel saying? What is the rock of Israel saying? And then what David does here is, at the end of his life, he, he foretells the coming of the Messiah, the one who will fulfill the promise of eternal rule through David. He who rules over men righteously. Previous chapter, David totally butchered it and caused the death of thousands in Jerusalem. That's David. And so he looks forward to someone who actually will rule righteously, who rules in the fear of God. He is as the light of the morning. When the sun rises, a morning without clouds, when the tender grass springs out of the earth through sunshine after rain. There is this one, as David's ready to die, he is the one that's going to be the sunrise. The day spring. I'm going to die, but after me one is coming. God says there is a righteous one who's going to rule, and he's going to be like sunlight on the land. Not sunlight of drought, but sunlight of prosperity and blessing. Isn't that amazing? This was written a thousand years before Jesus. There will be a day spring who comes. And you know that Luke 1, as Jesus is born, Zechariah, not Zechariah, the one in the temple, Simeon, says the day spring from on high has visited us. Here is the, the sunrise, the one that they're waiting for. And so he's able to take that day spring who is yet to come. And so really the life of David is pointing to Jesus. I am not enough. I am not enough. You need more. You need a perfect king. And that perfect king is coming as the Messiah. And so the house that is promised to David as an eternal everlasting house is that house that the sunrise will bring. The one who is called sunshine, the day spring from on high. For he has made an everlasting covenant with me. That is his salvation, ordered in all things and secured for all my salvation and all my desire. Will he not indeed make it grow? And so David is dying. He's saying, God's going to do this. He's going to bring deliverance. He's going to bring salvation. And it's going to be like the eternal sunshine for one high visiting us. And so David, like this is fascinating to me. David knew a whole lot about Messiah. And you know where he heard it? In conversation between God the Father and God the Son. Isn't that astounding? That is what our text is saying. He refers to it. He dabbles in it there in his dying words. But here in this psalm, he's stating it. Yahweh God, 
says to my Adonai, my one coming after me who will be ruler. And then, then he says, I heard Yahweh say to my God, and then this is what he says right there. So there's these two persons. And then I'll just mention this quickly. There's two sides because the Lord has one side and then there's an enemy. Okay, and we'll get to that in just a second. But look at the actions involved. Look at the actual statement that the Lord, Yahweh, says to David's Adonai, or David's God. This is what the Lord says. What are the actions? There are two actions. He says one action is what? All right, so come on, somebody be brave. What's the, the action, the first action there in yellow? Sit. Sit. Okay. So that's one action. That Yahweh says to Messiah Jesus, sit. What's the other action? Until I make. So the other action is that the Lord is going to make. This first one is quoted just about as much as that. That the Lord says to my Lord Jesus often talks about that. uh, When he's talking about the self-righteous Pharisees who are one to establish their own righteousness. He's like, your righteousness is not in David. Your righteousness is not in the law. It's not in Moses. It's not in Abraham. Your righteousness is in Messiah. And so he often points them to that. But there's this also this concept that is often mentioned here that, that the Messiah is going to sit. Now when does that happen? When, when is Jesus going to actually sit and take it easy? Well, that's it, his, his resurrection. Sitting at his right hand is what God repeatedly states, is what he does through Jesus. If you're taking notes, like you could look this up. It's, it's again, this is, there's at least eight, eight references to this, but Ephesians 1, 19 to 23 is a good one. Um, what is the surpassing greatness of God's power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. How strong is he? This is his strength, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So when Jesus ascended, he wasn't done. He ascended and he sat down at the right hand of God. And so David is hearing Yahweh to say to Adonai, sit at my right hand. Ascend after the cross and sit down. And when he seats him there, he is at the right hand in heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named. So as Jesus sits down, this is what it means. There is no spirit being. There is no human being. There is no being that supersedes him. He sits down. And he is Lord of all. This happens to us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter says, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers have been subjected to him. And so this is spiritual, but it's also physical. And and that's really what the action talks about here. Uh, Sit at my right hand, and then he says, until what? Until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. This is an interesting image. What does that bring to your mind? Okay, is he going to... Make him a footstool? What is that talking about? When, when an invading army subjugated another army, 
They took the king and stood on his neck. And that king could not move. Total subjugation. So Yahweh is saying to Jesus, listen, they are taunting you. They are saying crucify him. But as soon as you ascend, your foot is on their throat and there is no opposition. They are your footstool. They are on, his footstool is on their neck with complete surrender. This is the oath revealed to David a thousand years before Jesus. Amazing. Like how Spurgeon puts this. Those rebels who now stand high in power shall soon be in the place of contempt. They shall be his footstool. He shall with ease rule them. He shall sit and put his foot on them. Not rising to tread them down as when a man puts force to subdue powerful foes. But retaining the attitude of rest and still ruling them as abject vassals who have no longer spirit to rebel but have become thoroughly tamed and subdued. This is our Lord's ascended position right now. His foot is on the throat of all who oppose him. But you are either an enemy or you're bowing him as king. And so those are your sides. You bow to him as king, receive him as king, or he will eternally have you in subjugation. Okay, quickly, the commitment here. And so that's the Right, as he, he shares his appointment of Jesus as the Messiah, the commitment is that the king will have an authority. Uh, the Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. And so Jesus will have this rule. And actually, right, we often think of the spiritual rule, and that is true, but this rule will be a physical rule. Jesus will rule uh, for a thousand years in Jerusalem, and all kingdoms of the earth will come and bring their duty to him, their taxes. Uh, and, and there will be no resistance. There will be no resistance. But spiritually for us, it's helpful to know that no one usurps Jesus' authority. He has all authority in heaven and earth. And in our little blink of time, it may not feel that way, but it's true. And that's the, the comforting Application we'll take from this in just a moment. So the king has all authority. That strong scepter, right? He, he, he extends it, and it's the authority of God. And then the king will have an army. He has authority, and he has an army. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power in holy array from the womb of the dawn. Your youth are to you as the dew. And so the idea of a strong kingdom is they have a strong, powerful army. And here the youth are so many that are volunteering to be in his army that they're like the dew on the grass. Right? And so we see this all around the world, even today. I think we'll see it physically as Jesus has uh, all authority in his kingdom. But today, our youth submit to him. And they're like, Lord Jesus, whatever you want to do. That is in one sense a fulfillment. As you as a teenager... Bow your knee to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, whatever you want me to do, I'm ready to follow you. You are filling out the Great Commission 
and you're obeying, verse 3, your youth to you are as the dew on the grass. And there are millions of them all over the world. And that gives us hope. Hope in Jesus. Hope in Jesus, not in youth. So the king will have an army. So let's apply this to ourselves and we'll be done. Uh, let's, let's gain from this, right? And, and we'll look at the priest. He also appoints Jesus as priest in verse 4, right? So we'll get to that next week, but it's just too much, too much to rush through it. I want, I want us to let this first one just sink into our heart and encourage our soul. So let's get to the application of this, all right? The appointment of a king, therefore, trust and obey today the never-failing king. Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. So, two applications. Trust, obey. Trust, obey. Trust, obey your never-failing king. Today, you need to trust and obey. I'll start with obey, and then we'll end with trust just to encourage our souls in the Lord today. Um, I pray each of you are, are those who have submitted to his obedience. And again, my heart has, has really been uh, challenged by thinking of our dear sister who went to be with the Lord. You don't know. Youth is no promise of life. You do not know what this week will hold. And, and so this acknowledging, acknowledging Jesus as King and Lord is finding in Him your Lord and Savior. We must all bow to Him as King. Worship Him. Honor Him. Christ is not your helper and King if you're your own boss. I did it my way is not the attitude of the Christian. It's I did it Christ's way. And so when we enter into the family, we enter through the cross, and we only enter through the cross as we bow at the cross and acknowledge Him as Lord and Savior, taking His allegiance. And so you can find the same thing as David. As David says, the Lord said to my Lord. Can you say Jesus is your Lord? Two options. Pleasing God, only two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. Right? Are you following Jesus or are you following yourself? Self is a, is a horrible thing to worship. You will find no lasting fulfillment there. So there is a reckoning where we bow to Jesus. And I we just encourage you, if you have never recognized Jesus' lordship, he is king of all. He is lord of all. Philippians 2 shares that all every knee will bow physically to him one day. So it's just a matter of time. Are you going to do it in time or eternity? But then on a daily basis, we continue to acknowledge his lordship in our life. What do you do with your time? What do you do with your money? What do you do with your talents? What do you do with your job? What do you do with your phone? What do you do with, like you put anything on there? And what did we get wrong there with each of those? Your what do I do with his life? My life is not my own anymore. I am owned by a king. What do I do with his time? My daytimer is not my daytimer. It's his. My free time is time to recreate to serve him more. Right? And so, again, we can do all these things. I can eat a dessert to the glory of God. But it's to the glory of God. 
I'm doing this for you, Lord. Thank you for this apple pie. I don't say that blasphemously. Like we, I'm talking to the Lord all the time. Now, every time I start my car, I say, thank you, Lord, for this car starting. Right? Every time we wake up, Lord, thank you. Thank you. This is your day. This is your laptop. This is your phone. This is your life, Lord. That is the life that's submitting to Jesus as king. So we must obey him. Our second application is trust. We must trust him. And this is the comforting one. Um, First application gives purpose for life. Keeps us from idolatry, from living for anything less than Jesus. What a silly thing to live for anything less than Jesus. Don't live for your job. If I could live for Jesus, I can live out my my job to the glory of, of Christ. But this one gives us great comfort. If he is king, I need to obey him. If he is king, I can trust him. He has truly all authority. I rest in him. I wait for him. He is victorious. All things are under his control. Every street in Queens is under the control of Jesus. Every street. Not one of those dark alleys is alien to his lordship. So I can walk in any one of them to the glory of God. If he wants me to. I'm going to be careful. Every prison in the world, every workplace in the world, even your workplace is under the rulership of Jesus. Every school is under the rulership of Jesus. Every family is under the rulership of Jesus. In Pakistan, where being a Christian is entirely difficult, is under the rulership of Jesus. Samini Bibi was, Samina Bibi was locked up in a closet by her boss in Pakistan when he heard her praying on her lunch break. Who's in authority there? It may feel like it's that boss, but it's not. It's Jesus. Coworker let her out, and she continues to work there to the glory of God. Asma, another Christian in Pakistan, when he brought a coworker to church with him, his boss found out, began beating and harassing him. That's the norm there. Who is in control in Pakistan? Jesus is in control. Who is in control in Queens? Jesus is in control. And so we live out his glory, and sometimes it's to death. And history will tell his story of those who have followed him sometimes to death. And when the veil of life is opened and we see the reality of what's going on here, we realize that was glory to God when that person gave up their job for Jesus. That was glory to God when that person gave up their life to Jesus. Another person gave up their son in Pakistan to Jesus. Hard things to go. I'm not saying it's not easy, but it's something Jesus is worthy. Because Jesus' foot is on the neck of the enemy. And it's just a little bit of time. And so what we have to do is, by faith, continue to trust him. Lord, I don't understand. I have a hard time with what I'm going through because of this authority, that authority, this circumstance, that circumstance. But I believe that you're in control, and I rest there. I don't get lazy. I rest in the fact that Jesus is all authoritative. His reign is complete and everlasting. It never has a four-year term. It will never end. And so a billion years from now, I still will worship King Jesus who is entirely in control. That brings stability to life. And so I can sing, Still my soul be still, and do not fear. The winds of change may rage tomorrow. God is at your side. No longer dread the fires of unexpected sorrow. God, you are my God. 
I will trust in you and not be shaken. Lord of peace, shalom. Renew a steadfast spirit in me to rest in you alone. It's not finding the courage in myself. It's finding the courage in Jesus who is in control. Still, my soul, be still. Do not be moved by lesser lights and fleeting shadows. Hold on to his ways with shield of faith against temptation's flaming arrows. God, you are my God. I trust in you, and I shall not be shaken. Lord of peace, renew a steadfast spirit within me to rest in you alone. I trust you're resting in Jesus' lordship today. Bowing to him. Jesus is seated. The victory is won. Satan's defeated. The battle is done. The servant's rise is the serpent's demise. Come and kneel or feel his heel in full submission. Eternal contrition. Bowing to your king or bowing as his enemy. I want to read in closing Isaiah 11. Please don't check out. I'm going to read this and we'll be done. Listen to Isaiah 700 years before Jesus. Say the same chorus that David wrote a thousand years before Jesus. Listen to this. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Jesus said, this is me. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word. One breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and the little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. And this is the sight of our Lord at his coming. Let's pray. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you do not know Jesus as your king, please receive him now. Talk to him. You don't have to talk to me. Talk to Jesus. Maybe there's something that the Lord has convicted you about. Would you bow to him? Acknowledge him as Lord in your life and ask him for salvation. In just a moment, I'll close us in prayer. Before we do, if you'd like to pray with someone, please slip out in the back. We'll have someone pray with you. Let's all respond to Jesus' message here.
Lord, we do acknowledge you as king. Thank you that you are a priest who brings us into the very throne room. And as we do, we bow to you. Oh, Lord, I do pray that each person has, has bowed their heart to you today in worship um, so they can come to you as, as king and Lord and not in fear of your wrath, but in joy. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being not only king, but sacrifice. Uh, Lord, we, we do bow to you in every area of our life today and ask that 